We'll now turn to God's holy word. We will turn to the letter to the Hebrews, chapter 10. We'll begin our reading at verse 19, read to the end of verse 35, and then we turn to chapter 11, we'll read a couple of portions from chapter 11. So Hebrews chapter 9, begin at verse, or chapter 10, beginning at verse 19. There read God's word, therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. For if we go on sinning deliberately after receiving the knowledge of the truth, There no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but a fearful expectation of judgment and a fury of fire that will consume the adversaries. Anyone who has set aside the law of Moses dies without mercy on the evidence of two or three witnesses. But much worse punishment, how much worse punishment do you think will be deserved by the one who has trampled underfoot the Son of God and has profaned the blood of the covenant? by which he was sanctified, and has outraged the spirit of grace. For we know him who said, Vengeance is mine, I will repay. And again, the Lord will judge his people. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. But recall the former days when after you were enlightened, you endured a hard struggle with sufferings, sometimes being publicly exposed to reproach and affliction, and sometimes being partners with those so treated For you had compassion on those in prison, and you joyfully accepted the plundering of your property, since you knew that you yourselves had a better possession and an abiding one. Therefore, do not throw away your confidence, which has a great reward. And now we turn to chapter 11, and we'll read, first of all, just one verse, verse 7. In the sermon, we'll make reference to Noah as an example of one who lived by faith. So, verse 7, chapter 11, By faith, Noah, being warned by God concerning events as yet unseen, in reverent fear, constructed an ark for the saving of his household. By this, he condemned the world and became an heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. And then we turn towards the end of the chapter, verse 39. And through the first couple of verses of chapter 12, verse 39. And all these, though commended, all these referring to all these people of faith that uh, he has been talking about in chapter 11. And all these, though commended through their faith, did not receive what was promised. 
since God had provided something better for us, that apart from us they should not be made perfect. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, Look into Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. So far, our reading of God's holy word. Let's sing together in response to the word of God, or amen. We'll do so with the, the words of Psalm 62. This has 1, 3, and 4. Our text this morning is from letter to to the Hebrews, chapter chapter eleven, verse thirty. Oh, sorry, chapter ten, verse thirty-six, through to the second verse of chapter eleven. So let's read those verses together. So, chapter ten of Hebrews, verse thirty-six, where he goes on and. Verse 35, remember he says, Therefore do not throw away your confidence, which, was, uh, which has a great reward. And then he goes on, and this begins our text, verse 36, For you have need of endurance, 
so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what is promised. For yet a little while, and the coming one will come and will not delay. But my righteous one shall live by faith, and if he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. But we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who have faith and, pres- and preserve their souls. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. For by the people of old receive their commendation. So far, uh, our, our text. Brothers, sisters of our Lord in Jesus Christ, in Hebrews chapter 10 we have a call, call to the believers to whom the author is writing uh, to persevere in their faith. Chapter 10, verse uh, verse 23 of chapter 10, he writes, he says, let us hold unswervingly uh, to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful. And so there appears to be, as we read through this letter, and especially through this chapter, it appears that there was some danger among the believers to let go of their faith and to let go of the wonderful promises that the Lord had given to them in the Lord Jesus Christ. Verses 23 through 35 seems to show that the believers had gone through a very difficult time of persecution in their lives. Uh, They had endured so much suffering for the sake of their faith in the Lord Jesus. But now it seems, and we're not exactly sure what the situation is, but it appears uh, that the persecution is no longer as severe as it had been. Life in the faith has become somewhat easier. And you think that they would become stronger in their faith. But instead it seems like the danger is they're forgetting about their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. So that may be one thing that's going on in the lives of these believers. But this falling away may also be connected to the fact that these are are Jewish believers. And so they may also be feeling a certain pressure from uh, their uh, their relatives, their, their family members, who are, of course, Jewish, to go back again to those practices that they used to enjoy in the Old Testament. It almost seems that to many, it feels as if they have lost something. Now that they are Christians, they have lost something of those practices that they enjoyed in the Old Testament. They no longer have an earthly temple where they can go to and make a pilgrimage. They no longer have those animal sacrifices that they can bring uh, to uh, the altar. They no longer are practicing many of the Old Testament Religious rituals that have been so important part of their lives. And you can imagine if there are certain things in your life that, that was important, things that you were experiencing, things that you were doing, and suddenly all those things are, are, are taken away and you're no longer doing those things, you begin to wonder whether maybe you've lost something. Because after all, when you think about the New Testament worship of God, the New Testament worship of God... There was no temple. There were no sacrifices to bring. Those, many of those Old Testament rituals were no longer being done. 
And so the, the author, earlier in this letter, in the first part of this letter, what he's been doing, he's been arguing uh, that all those things that they were doing in the Old Testament, the temple, the sacrifice, and so on, he says they've all been fulfilled in the life of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so he's been arguing in those first ten chapters of this letter that as, as believers, New Testament believers, they have so much more than the Old Testament believers had. Because those Old Testament things, he, he argues, they're but shadows of the real thing that you have in the Lord Jesus Christ. Right? Those sacrifices. They're but a, a shadow of the real sacrifice that we now have in the Lord Jesus Christ. The sacrifice He gave of Himself there on the cross. And so that's why he finally comes in verse 36. He says to his, these believers, he says, and so you need to persevere. You need to hold on. So that when you have done the will of God, you will receive what he has promised you. And so the idea of persevering in faith is not just that we believe the truth. But beloved, faith is much more than just believing something. Faith is also something that, that motivates us into action. Faith in Christ is not just believing that, oh, there's a Lord up there, there's some mighty person up there in heaven. But beloved, faith also directs us to obey Him. It directs us to serve Him with our whole heart. And so the author says that when you persevere in your faith, so that you've done the will of God, then you will also receive what God has promised. And after making that argument, then he goes on in chapter 11. In chapter 11, you have this long list of Old Testament believers. They all serve the Lord God out of faith. These men and women are witnesses, he says, that all those who serve God out of faith, that they will live. But they are not only examples of how we ourselves should live by faith. But what he wants to say here, too, is that but these Old Testament believers are examples of, of how God is faithful. How God is faithful to all those who serve Him out of faith. When we live by faith, beloved, our faith is not just hoping against hope that maybe, that maybe God's promises are going to be true. No, we look back to those those Old Testament witnesses and we see that we have a God who is faithful to the believers already long ago. So that the faith of those believers in the Old Testament was not not futile. They did not believe in vain. But the Lord God kept all His promises to them. And therefore the author says, and therefore today, he says, you as New Testament believers, you may also be fully assured and full of confidence that God will keep all his promises to you. As Habakkuk said, he says, he quotes from Habakkuk, we will live by faith. Meaning that God will give us life through faith. Why? Because through faith we put our trust in the Lord Jesus. We look to him to give us life and to give us salvation. And so this morning I proclaim to you God's word under this theme. Persevere in faith that you may live. So our theme, persevere in faith that you may live. Under that theme we look at two things. First of all, we look at faith and its connection to God's promises. 
And secondly, we look at faith and those who witness to it, that is, to faith. The word promise is used often in the book of Hebrews. And you find it coming up repeatedly in chapter 11, where it is repeatedly used to say that the believers receive promises, believers in the Old Testament receive promises from God. When somebody gives a, a promise, it's always a promise to do something in the future. And so children, I know as children you often you, you play together and, and, you, and you talk about things together. And at times you also um, make promises to one another. And you say, promise. And so somebody says, I'll do this. And said, promise. And so you make a promise. And you tell your friend that you will do something. And what you mean is you will do something sometime in the future. Well, God does the same thing to us. God comes to us and he says, here's my promise. And what he means when he gives us the promise, he says, this is what I will do for you sometime in the future. And so the, the author here in this letter this morning reminds us in chapter 11 about the promises that, that God gave to his people long ago already in the Old Testament. In verse 27, 28 of chapter 10, he quotes the promise of God through the prophet Habakkuk. He quotes these words. He says, just, in just a little while, he who is coming will come and he will not delay. And then he goes on and he promises, he says, my righteous one, that is those who, who live by faith, those who serve me faithfully, will live by faith. Well, let's think back to the days of Habakkuk. Habakkuk lived in a time when God's great threat of sending the Babylonian army to destroy Jerusalem, it was starting to become a reality. And so Habakkuk had to prophesy to the people of Israel, destruction is coming, God's wrath, God's judgment is coming upon you. But God doesn't only want to give his people that message of judgment, he also wants to give hope. Because within Israel, there are also those who are still faithful, who still love the Lord. And his promise to the faithful and to the righteous in Israel, God says, but understand this, my judgment is coming, but I will not abandon you. I will come to your rescue. And so the righteous here in Habakkuk are encouraged to live by faith. And they're encouraged to trust that the Lord will keep his promise, that although today it may be very dark, God says, the day is coming. Well, I will send the one who will come and who will deliver and who will rescue you. And so in this letter to the Hebrews, uh, the author is, is looking to the Lord Jesus. And he says, and his argument throughout this letter is the Lord Jesus is the one who fulfills those promises of God in the Old Testament. The one who is coming that Habakkuk is talking about is the Lord Jesus and as Habakkuk says, he will come and he will not delay. Well, beloved New Testament believers, as New Testament believers, we have this promise that the Lord Jesus, who has ascended into heaven in the day of ascension, he's not going to stay in heaven. Well, we have the promise, right? He's going to come back. The promise is that he will come and he will not, he will not 
delay. And even though it may sometimes seem to be dark in our lives, and we may wonder about God, yet God's promise is still standing. God is, Jesus Christ is coming. He will not delay his return. Here we need to, to stop for a moment and reflect on the parallel between the Old and the New Testament and see somewhat also the connection between the two. Otherwise, Hebrews 11, with his list of so-called heroes of faith, just doesn't make any sense for us. We may ask, so, so how did the lives of those people who lived long ago, how did those lives, the people, how did the lives of those people help us to live by faith today? God's promise in the Old Testament was that he would send his people the Savior. And when the Savior came, he would save them. Remember, that was a promise that, that God gave already in the very beginning to Adam and Eve after they, they fell into sin, Genesis 3. God promised Adam and Eve, he says, I will give you a, a seed, I will give you an offspring or a son to Eve. And, and he will come. And when he comes, he will destroy the seed of the serpent. Remember, children of the seed of the serpent is? Right? The seed of the serpent was the devil. That's where, this is where you can say the promise of salvation began in the Old Testament. But that promise of God to Adam and Eve was repeated by God to the believers throughout the Old Testament. You think of Noah, but then you also come to Abraham. Abraham was promised a child. And God says to Abraham, uh, through this child I will make you a blessing to all the nations of the earth. God said to the people of Israel, as Moses was about to, to, to die, God said to the people, I will raise up a prophet like Moses, but he will be a greater mediator than Moses, one who will come and who will deliver you. God then came to King David and he promised David, David, I will give you a son, a special son, and he will rule on your throne for eternity. And God came and he promised the people of Israel through the prophet Isaiah, I will send my anointed one to be the Messiah, to be the Savior. When he comes, he will deliver you, my people. Beloved, those are all promises from God. And there were many people in Israel who believed the promises. People who in faith were eagerly looking forward to its fulfillment. And so the point that this author makes is that these promises, they were all fulfilled in Jesus Christ. He says to us, he says, you have received something greater, something much better than the believers did in the Old Testament, for the Lord Jesus has come, and he is the fulfillment of those promises, and you have seen that fulfillment. But beloved, he goes on. The author here, and he says, but even as New Testament believers, he says, but we're still looking to God to fulfill promises. Promises that he's also made to us as New Testament believers. And he's given to us the promise that in Jesus Christ, the Lord will give to us the forgiveness of all of our sins. He's going to give to us the life everlasting. New Testament believers have the promise from God. That Jesus Christ, who has ascended into heaven, will not remain there. He will return, and he will not delay. Well, just as the Old Testament believers lived out of the promises of God, beloved, today we continue to live out of those promises of God as well. 
But the difference is this. The difference is we know who the promised one is. We know what the believers in the Old Testament were still looking for. They were looking for the Lord Jesus, and we know the Lord Jesus. And yet today you can say, but we're still waiting for God to fulfill His promise, the promise in which He will send His Son to bring us all into His eternal kingdom of glory. And so we, just like the believers in the Old Testament, we are still living by faith. Faith means that we trust that the Lord God will also keep His promises to us. Someday it will happen. And that's why we have the call in chapter 10, the call to persevere in that faith. To hold on to that faith. But how? How can we be sure that God will do what He has promised? No, children, going back again to the example of the promise that you make with your friends. Right? You have a friend who makes a promise to you that he's going to do something. But how do you know? How do you know that your friend is going to keep his or her promise to you? Right? You really don't know. You hope your friend is going to keep that promise. And if he doesn't keep the promise or she doesn't keep the promise in, you know, fairly soon, if they keep delaying doing what they promised they would do, and finally comes a time you get upset and you get a little bit angry and you insist with your friend that he or she fulfills that promise. You promised, remember? Well, maybe they weren't very honest when they made that promise. Maybe they never intended to keep it. Or maybe they made a promise that they weren't able, able to keep. Maybe they thought, oh, you, they promised to give you some money, but they thought they could get that money sometime, but they're not able to get it. And so perhaps they may have had good intentions of keeping the promise, but they're not able to. But what happens is, when it takes a long time for your friend to keep that promise, well, you begin to lose faith, Right? in the promise that your friend has made. But now about God. God makes promises. And sometimes it can seem to us that it takes a long time for God to keep His promise. Can we also trust God? Can we trust His promises? We say, God, God, you promised... We know in chapter 11 and 39, the author reminds us about the Old Testament believers. He says they were all commended. That means good things were said about their faith. Yet not, yet none, none of them received what had been promised. Imagine. They all died. All died without receiving what God had promised them. And yet, They continued to believe God's promise, and they continued to believe it even to the very day on which they died. This letter to the Hebrews was written to to these believers who were wavering in their faith. These are believers who were in danger of rejecting God's promise in Christ Jesus, wondering whether God would indeed do what He had promised. And therefore, he needs to encourage them to persevere, to hold on to their faith. He writes in verse 35, he says, Do not throw away your confidence. It will be richly rewarded. So, he says, you are to hold on to your faith. Continue to trust the promise of God. Do so with great confidence in your heart. 
It says in verse 39, he says, Do not belong to those who shrink back and are destroyed, but to those who have faith and are saved. But how? How do we hold on to our faith in God's promise? How do we live with that full assurance that the Lord will keep His promises of life and salvation to me? When he says, the author here says, he says, well, how? Take a look at the life of the believers in the Old Testament. He goes on in chapter 11, verse 2, and he, in, in the second verse of chapter 11, he says, um, what the re- there he says, what the ancients were commended for, or perhaps better, how they were witnessed to. So he's referring back to the example of, of those believers in the Old Testament. They were commended for their faith, or they witnessed to their faith. Chapter 12, verse 1, you go to the next chapter. There he speaks about the Old Testament believers as a great cloud of witnesses. Well, the important question here is, So why does the author give us a list of all these Old Testament believers whom he says are a cloud of witnesses over us? Is his message to us that we should just imitate those believers in the Old Testament? Is he simply saying, you know, as as those people believed, you know, you should be just as good as those people. You should also believe. Right? Look at those people in the past. They were great believers And so you should also be a great believer. As they persevered in their faith, so you should now also persevere in your faith. Well, there is indeed an element of that, beloved. The example of past believers should indeed be something that we also want to imitate in our lives. But the question really is, but but why? Why should I just do something that people did in the past? Why believe just because they believed? Why should I believe something just because my father believed it? You see, brothers and sisters, faith cannot just be a blind following of somebody else. But it must be based on something much more concrete. It must be based upon, you could say, reality. And that is what the Old Testament believers are witnessing too. See, they witnessed to the fact that their faith was grounded in something that was real. Something you could say that was concrete. And so we need to take a little closer look at chapter, uh, verse 1 of chapter 11. Where the author writes this, he says, Now faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about, thing, about what we do not see. I think the, the ESV is fairly close uh, to that same translation. First of all, you'll notice that faith here is something that's forward-looking. It looks to the future. The reality is that that nobody is able to to look into the future. No one knows what will happen tomorrow and next year or 10 years from now or 100 years from now. But yet as Christians, we, we live with a certain hope. A hope for the future because God has given us a promise. A promise in which God says one day the Lord Jesus will return. When He comes, He will establish the kingdom of God over the whole earth. So we are living, beloved, with that expectation. 
Right? We have that expectation that a day is coming when we will enjoy the forgiveness of all of our sins, when we will receive life everlasting. That will happen when Christ comes on the day of judgment. That's our hope. Well, there's still so many things that we do not yet see. But in faith, we believe that one day it will happen and we will see it for ourselves with our very own eyes. And so verse 1, chapter 11, says that faith is having confidence in what we hope for and the assurance about things that we do not yet see. Well, those two words, confidence and assurance, talk about the attitude that we have in our heart. It says that if I have faith, then I have confidence in my heart that God will do what He has promised. And I live with this wonderful assurance in my heart that while I do not yet see the promises of God, yet I have that assurance that one day I will see them. And so faith, beloved, indeed means that I fully believe the promise of God, that I trust with my whole heart and that the Lord will do everything that He's promised me. But there's still a problem with that. Does the author say that because the Old Testament believers had this confidence, because they had that assurance, therefore I should imitate their confidence in my heart? Is that what these ancient believers were witnessing to? That they had a firm conviction that one day God would keep his promises to them? On the one hand, we can say yes. Yes, they did witness to their firm conviction in the promises of God. But beloved, what we need to understand here is that their conviction was based in the concrete work of God in their lives. It was Lord God who came and who spoke to them, and God who was working in their lives in a very real way. And so the author here says, well, go look back to the lives of those ancient believers. Look how through their faith, God was at work in their lives. Look how God's work in their lives became the foundation for the confidence that they had for the future in God's promises. Now, you know, almost all English translations follow what many say was the the translation that Luther gave of verse 1. This translation talks about what we feel in our heart. It says, faith is, it says that faith is that I feel in my heart confidence and I also in my heart have the assurance and the promises of God. Because I feel that confidence and I have that assurance, therefore I believe God's promises and I believe everything that God has revealed in His Word. But the King James Version it gives a different translation. It translates, now faith is the substance. Or you can also say faith is the reality of things hoped for. Faith is the evidence that goes on. Faith is the proof of things not seen. This says that the faith of these ancient believers reveals the substance of the things that we hope for. It gives us the evidence or the proof of the things that we do not yet see. So it's less subjective, it becomes more objective. Our faith is based upon real facts, upon reality. 
You see, the author wants to encourage the New Testament believers to persevere. That is, to keep on holding on to their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. But why? Why should they hold on to that faith? Because he says, look at the faith in the Old Testament believers. Through their faith, God did great things for them. Things that also gave to them the evidence. That gave to them the proof of what God would do for them in the future. And so you see, beloved, faith is not just based on some subjective feeling in my heart that I feel God in my heart, as as many believers today will say. No, it is based on the concrete work of God in the lives of his people. And so you see, the author in the rest of chapter 11 is going to illustrate this this point that he's making in our text. He's going to illustrate it from the lives of many well-known Old Testament believers. And so in order that we might maybe better understand what he's getting at, we're going to look at the example that he gives of Noah and, and the flood. Remember, children, that the story of Noah, where God came to Noah one day. And God says to, to Noah, I'm going to destroy the whole world in the great flood. God was warning Noah about something that Noah could not yet see. Noah had no way of being able to see whether the flood was coming or not. But God warned Noah, he says, the great flood is coming. And what does Noah do? His reaction is in holy fear. That is in faith. He goes out and he builds the great ark. Other people are scorning him. They're laughing and they're ridiculing him, mocking him. But in holy fear, God, Noah listens to God's word and he builds the ark. Because God says the day is coming when the water will come and you will need the ark to be saved. And so Noah believed what God spoke to him. And what did Noah do? In faith, he went and he built the ark. And he warned the people all around him in the world, judgment is coming. Be prepared. Be ready. Now, beloved, that life of Noah does not just testify to his own personal faith, but it also testifies to the reality of God's promise. You see, Noah believed the word of God. In faith, he got busy building the ark. His faith in God's promise became a reality when after 120 years, God finally sent the flood and he destroyed all of mankind. But he saved Noah. But he saved Noah and his family. And therefore, Noah is not just a witness of somebody who had faith in his heart. Somebody who believed God's word, but the substance of his faith, that substance is God's judgment in the flood, became a reality. And it became the evidence, it became the proof that God's promises are indeed real. But the flood, the writer says, is also the evidence of things not yet seen. You see, when when God punishes the people of the world with this great flood, what's God doing? What's God doing also for the people of the world today? God has given them evidence of the things that are not yet seen. He has already given the world evidence uh, that the great judgment is going to come. A great judgment in which all of mankind will be destroyed at the coming of Jesus Christ. Or beloved, how can we also as New Testament believers... How can we be confident? How can you and I be sure that Christ will come to judge the living and the dead? How is it that we can live with that, we can say that subjective assurance that the great day of judgment is coming? 
That I am sure that the day is coming when believers will be saved, but the wicked and the unbelievers will be punished. How can I have that certainty there in my heart that God will do what He has promised in the future? And the author to the Hebrews says, well, go look. Look at the witness you have there in the life of Noah. See how God dealt with mankind in those days. See how he saved Noah through faith. He believed and he built the ark in God. But on the other hand, what did God do? God came and he destroyed the rest of mankind who rejected his warning. And therefore they were condemned. And so his point, beloved, is this. Is that we can be absolutely certain of God's promises. God's judgment there in the days of Noah shows us how God is working in the world also today. He will save those who live by faith. He will save those who serve Him with their whole heart. But He will destroy and He will punish all those who reject His word and who refuse to repent. God's dealing with Noah and all other believers in the Old Testament. That's a witness to us, not only of the faith of those believers, beloved, It also shows us that God was at work in their lives. And as He was working their lives, God is now also at work today here in your life. If God fulfilled fulfilled what He promised to them, He will certainly fulfill everything He's promised to each one of us in Jesus Christ. When we look to the Lord Jesus... Then you can say this, God's promises given in the Old Testament, they were fulfilled in the most marvelous, marvelous way. As we look at the stories in the Old Testament, uh, the stories of those Old Testament believers that you find in chapter 11, and I'm going through that in my own congregation uh, in, in a series as we look at each one, of the, each one of those examples that the author gives. Then you'll see how God's promises to them have, have been wonderfully fulfilled in the life of Christ. God already gave them the evidence in their life that He will fulfill the promises of life and so of redemption. Right? The Old Testament believers, they were already looking with confidence to the future. They never doubted God's promise that the Messiah, that the Savior was coming. And then when He finally came, then God's promise would become a reality. Well, beloved, today we look back to the life of our Lord Jesus. And there you see in his life the evidence that God's promises will be fulfilled. Well, today we're still living by faith. Right today, each one of us, we're still hoping for the things that we do not yet see. Today we're still waiting for the day of judgment to come. We're waiting for the day when God's kingdom will come in all of its glory. And beloved, what we're called to do, beloved, you're called to persevere in that faith. You're called to hold on to those promises of of God. You're called to continue to serve the Lord with your whole heart. And why? Why do we persevere? Why do we hold on to those promises in faith? Because we know that the Lord Jesus has won the victory. Because we've seen His death on the cross, but He hasn't just stayed there on the cross, but He also rose up from the dead in His great resurrection. Beloved, that is for us also the evidence that God's promises for the future are real. 
The one who's won the victory will one day also come in judgment. When he comes in judgment, he will also save all those who have persevered in their faith. And he will condemn all those who have rejected the call of Christ, the call to repent, the call to eternal life. And therefore, beloved, you may indeed, you may live with every confidence in your heart. Confidence that you need that you may persevere in your faith. Because, beloved, we have that wonderful, we have that sure hope that in Christ Jesus we will live. Amen. Let's sing again the response, our amen to the word of God, the words of hymn 71, hymn 71, all stanzas.